Little did you know you are strong, smart, insightful, beautiful, hilarious, loyal, and loved. The podcast you need to navigate your 20s. Little did you know with Shelby Eastwood. a goodie one today guys I don't know where that just came from but we're just gonna roll with it Uh, I get to talk to Janelle today she is a relationship and confidence guru what even makes you be a guru I don't even know um like a female power and female power woman empowerment I'm messing up my words today but that's okay because it's Monday and we can all forgive each other and that. That's fine. Um, yeah, what even makes somebody a guru or an expert in something? That's what I want to know. And like how, why? Why, how, how do you put that out into the world? You know what I mean? And how do you conquer, conquer and show that empowerment? I find that I have a, a hard time with that. And that can go for both men and women, I think. Um, too. So we're going to talk with Janelle about that. Super excited to chat with her. Um, let's take a break and then, um, we will talk with Janelle. Hi, Janelle. How are you? I am good, Shelby. How are you? Good. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking time to chat with me today. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Where are you anyway? I always like to find out where everybody is located. <laughs> yeah, I'm in Virginia. I'm in the southwest part of Virginia. Okay. We're in the Appalachian Mountains right next to Virginia Tech, if you've ever heard of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Is it is it nice there? Like, is it? You oh, can... it's, it's gorgeous here. There's just mountains. They're not big mountains like Rocky Mountains. Yeah. But they're beautiful. Lots of hiking and, Aww. you know, outdoorsy stuff. And just all the, all the four seasons That's right a... now it's you know, rainy in April. So. Yeah, here too, here too. I'm in the northern, the northern part of Ontario, about eight hours north of Toronto, and it's, we had, let's just say we had three snow days last week, but now it's like yeah. plus 10, and it's all melting, so, you know. Wow, wow. Yeah, you're way up north. Oh, yeah. Me. Just living our best Canadian spring up here. <laughs> wow. Um, but I'm super excited to hear everything, all your stories. I kind of chatted a little bit about you prior to you coming on here um but i want to hear your story from your point of view and give you full power to kind of tell your story um what motivated you to do what you do now the things that happened in the past i know when i we we first kind of i want to say met but like it was on our i like to call it tinder for podcasts uh when we were like on that first site there like i read your your info and it's 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 a lot and it's heavy so i want to give you the floor to tell tell us okay very cool yes i used to not tell my story because i thought this is too heavy and it makes people feel bad why would i want to do that but then i realized that really telling my story actually helps other women to tell their own story mm-hmm. and they realize hey i can be real too and, and if she can do it if she can be vulnerable and tell her story i can too so um so i i grew up in a big family i always start with that because i already wasn't very confident when i when i went into college having grown up in a big family i was one of the older kids But my voice isn't very loud, and so it was really hard to be heard amongst all these loud siblings. And so I started to believe that, I call it an imposter story, I started to believe that my voice didn't matter, no one wanted to hear what I had to say, and all of that. So I I was pretty quiet, and I liked to just hide out in the background, you know. And then I had a boyfriend when I was 16 that I was madly in love with. I was going to marry him for sure. He was older. He was 20. And he got drafted into the Vietnam War. Oh, wow. Gives you an idea of how old I am. Anyway, um, he was not deployed yet, but he was still in training, and there was an accident, and he was killed. Oh, wow. And Yeah, and so it was was sudden, and of course, I was heartbroken. And being young, I didn't know how to process the grief. So I started eating my emotions, and I began to gain weight. And then I felt even worse about myself. So this is the state I was in when I went off to college quiet shy not feeling very confident 
and still grieving. And so I went out with my girlfriend one night uh, to a local, you know, hangout. We were playing foosball, having fun with the guys, talking to some guys. And I was, I was 19 years old. And the next thing I remember from that night, everything is, is black until I woke up in the, I guess, the middle of the night. I'm in my bed and this guy's on top of me. And I, at the mo- in the moment, I didn't know what was going on. I was very confused and fuzzy-headed, and then I blacked out again. And when I came to in the morning, I saw blood on the sheets, and I realized, oh, my gosh, this is the thought that hit me. I lost my virginity in a one-night stand with some guy I don't even know. Oh, my gosh. I must be a piece of trash. That was the thought. It was my fault. Somehow I did something to cause that or to put myself into a state where I didn't know what was happening and it was all my fault. Because I felt so much shame over it, you know, I was I was planning on waiting till I got married. You know, I was raised a good Catholic girl. I was going to be a virgin when I got married. And so that added to the shame. Uh, and I just thought, oh, my gosh, you know, what a terrible person I am. And so because of that, I didn't talk about it. I didn't mm. even talk about it to my roommate to this day. I don't even know what happened to her that night. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Never talked about it. Did not think it was rape until 30 years later oh. when I'm in my 50s and I'm unpacking that night in a counseling session. The first time ever. Oh, my That's goodness. I never told anybody. So, yeah. In that session... I'm telling the story and I'm thinking, why am I telling the story? It has no relevance to anything. It's so long ago, who cares? And she says to me, it sounds like you were drugged and raped. And literally it was like a shock. Oh my gosh. It had never occurred to me in 30 years that I had been drugged and raped. Not one time. Not one time. Wow. And I sat there like, what? I was drugged and raped? Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I was stunned. So I went home that night and I looked up online what would it be like if you were, you know, took a roofie. And as I read through the description of what that's like, I I sat there stunned because that is exactly how I remembered that night. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was like, "Oh my gosh, I was I was drugged at night." So that happened when I was 19. Okay, so I stowed it all away. I didn't tell anybody about it, but I was traumatized, yeah. obviously, right? And I didn't realize I was traumatized. But I, thinking back, I remember being really fuzzy-headed and kind of foggy-brained and, like, you know, kind of out of it. Kind of like what you see in the, in the movies and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it ended up opening this door to this uh and i know this is very common with uh assault victims is that first of all you blame yourself secondly you have this desperate need to be validated that you are worthy of love and so you are desperate to have that from someone and that leads you into more relationships where you're used and exploited Mm -hmm. which is exactly what happened to me so for the next four years, it was one guy after another where I'm trying to get this validation and all, all I'm getting is more of the same. And so more shame piles up on me over that. Then uh, at the age of 23, I had graduated college, but barely, I was barely functioning. I get out of college with a teaching degree, but there were no teaching jobs in my area. And I had started dating this guy. Well, we end up in Las Vegas. And I won't go into all the details, but this one afternoon, I'm sitting on a bar stool in a casino in the middle of the afternoon, all dressed up, makeup on and everything. And I'm thinking, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. What am I doing? But I look over at the door and there's standing my boyfriend. He's waiting and watching for me to do what it is he wants me to do. And sure enough, this older man comes, sits down next to me, smells like booze, cigarettes. He's bald and paunchy. And I'm like 23, right? And I'm looking really good. You're, I'm, you're I'm, a hot 23-year-old. Yeah, I was hot. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to remember my state of mind. I'm still traumatized. Mm-hmm. I feel horrible about who I am. And now I'm in this relationship with this guy who's putting me out there mm-hmm. as a prostitute is what's happening, a working girl. Oh, my so gosh. Once he sits down, he's like, are you working? And everything inside of me is screaming, no, I don't want to do this. Tell him, oh my gosh, I, was, I felt so sick to my stomach, like, ah. Oh. I don't want to be with this guy. But I said yes, because I felt trapped. 
and I was still so desperate and I was far away from family and the only thing I, the only person I had around me was this boyfriend who said he loved me mm-hmm. he thought it was a, an amazing idea to make money this way and he had built me up like he had said oh you're so gorgeous you shouldn't you shouldn't be working a, a you know hourly wage job you could be making hundreds and thousands of dollars and so then I know this is Cut, sorry to cut you off. Would no, he be okay. considered? Would he be considered like a pimp then? Yeah. Well, the thing is, at the time, I didn't think of it that way. And again, I blamed myself because I thought, mm-hmm. "Well, I'm doing this. I'm agreeing to do it." Yeah. He didn't put a gun to my head, but he was very manipulative, and he was very good at using his charm. And he and I was vulnerable, and he knew mm-hmm. it. So now, looking back on the other side, I realize, oh no. Uh, he trafficked me in that day and age we didn't call it trafficking we Mm -hmm. called it prostitution we called it working and in my mind I was willingly doing it even though I hated myself for doing it I Mm -hmm. hated it I hated myself so I spent three years and there were were hundreds and hundreds of men over that three-year period of time oh my gosh and every time it made me feel worse and worse so I basically checked out emotionally yeah I had to I had to shut down to survive and disassociate so by the time I came out of it, I was so disconnected from who I am. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And he just, um, I guess he thought it was cool. It, it, we, have dis, we have really decided many, many years later that it was more than just him being controlling and manipulative. Because I ended up marrying him, and that's another whole story. <laughs> because, I mean, who else would want me, right? That was the thought. Who else is going to want me? If I'm going to get married, I might as well marry him. So six years with him. Oh, okay. (laughs) We ended up homeless at one point. Oh, my gosh. These crazy, crazy ideas that money was going to drop out of the sky and just nutso stuff. And so we figured he had some mental illness that nobody really knew. Yeah. Because some of the crazy stuff. And I remember living with him thinking while I was with him, like he could convince you that black was white and white was black. Wow. That's how good he was. But then when I was away from him, I'd be like, no, that's not right. I was so confused. So confused. And when I finally got out from under that and away from it and was able to look back, you know, from outside, I realized, oh, my gosh, that was crazy. But I still didn't tell people. You yeah. know, I got I got out of all of that. My, by then, I had a daughter. We had a daughter, um, and she's amazing and wonderful. She was worth it all. <laughs> but I was so disconnected from my my true self I felt so worthless I had no self-confidence and so I just kind of lived a surface life I I always say it's like I shut the door to who I really am and I lived outside on the front porch Mm -hmm. and I related to everybody from out there I couldn't let them in the house because it was full of trash (laughs) I didn't want to go look at it so you know how did how old how old were you when you got out of it I was 26 when I got out of the prostitution and then we married when I was 27 and we divorced when I was 33. Wow. Yeah. So from the rape at 19 to 33 getting away from him, that's a long span of time. Wow. Wow. And I didn't tell people about it until I was in my 50s. So by the time I started processing through it and unpacking it, I realized, oh my gosh, I went through a lot of trauma. (laughs) I'm glad you can, like, laugh and speak positively about it now. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, now because I've I've unpacked it and mm-hmm. I've processed it and I've seen it from a different point of view, I was able to remove all the shame off of myself when yeah. I realized, oh, I was a victim. Oh, I wasn't a worthless person. Mm-hmm. Like, you know. And then I was able to, instead of being ashamed of my younger self, I was able to wrap my arms around her and have compassion and mm-hmm. weep and let all the emotions out that I never did before. Just, it took a lot of work. It was sure. easy. And it took years. Does your, does your daughter know that's the whole story? Yes. And how does she, how has she received it? How old is she now? She is 39. Oh, boy. How has she received it? <laughs> Well, by the, well, it's been a while since she knew, and yeah. I, I was one of the reasons I couldn't tell anyone was because of her when mm-hmm. she was growing up. But when she was old enough, I guess let's see, it's probably been maybe ten years that I really started talking about it. Wow! So it hasn't been that long. Yeah. 
but she and I talked about it before then, and she was she kind of had an inkling from a couple of things that had been said, but you know she's fine because she and her dad really don't have a relationship anyway. Oh, okay. So it's not like you know it was. She's caught in the middle, kind of sort of speak. Yeah, no, yeah. not not at all. In fact, nobody's even heard from him for probably fifteen years. Now, <laughs> or, you know, we don't know where he is. But uh, his sisters and my daughter are very close, and uh, one of them, when she read, I wrote, I wrote a book, and the story's in the book. It just released in January. Oh, congrats! Called, yeah, thank you. It's called "Take Center Stage: Be the Star of Your Own Story," and it's got my story in it, and the process I went through to find my healing and my freedom, and and to be my confident, real self. Aww. Like that, that emerged, that self emerged throughout this process, and I found myself like feeling grounded in who I am and loving who I am for the first time ever in my Aww. life. And, and that's where the title comes from because I, I sat there one day and I thought, I feel like I'm taking center stage of my own life finally. That's amazing. Where can we get it? It's on Amazon. Love it. Love it. <laughs> Go get it. Yeah, it has a workbook and everything. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay, so that's your whole story. So how did that motivate you to kind of write your book and do all this other work I know that you'd help other women too like how did that all stem where did it all stem yeah. from so like I, I've always been a teacher so I've always loved to you know teaching children was one thing but but getting up in front of adults was a whole nother oh yeah thing. <laughs> I hear that <laughs> I started realizing during the kind of that process where I started to get some help with uh, my church has this counseling ministry. And so during that time, as I began to like talk this stuff out mm-hmm. that I had never talked about, I started realizing I really had the strong desire to get up in front of the room and speak. But it was a scary thought. Oh, yeah. Because I never thought, you know, anybody would want to hear what I had to say. <clears throat> but as I began to work on that skill of speaking, and then I remember one day I really felt strongly impressed that I needed to tell my story publicly for the first time ever. And it was at a women's retreat around people that I trust and love and feel safe, but still it was like 50 women in Mm -hmm. the room. And I was shaking all over, you know, and I barely got the words out. The only thing I think I said was when I was 23, I was, I was a prostitute for three years. And then I went on to other things. (laughs) (laughs) When I said that, everybody in the room, were, their jaws dropped because they all knew me. And yeah. they were like, what? And they're like, wait, what? <laughs> I just dropped this bomb on them, you know. But and I was afterwards, I thought, why did I even say that? They're going to hate me. They're going to think I'm terrible. Nobody's going to want to talk to me ever again. Oh. But one woman after another throughout that weekend kept coming up to me and thanking me, thanking me for telling my story and telling me how now they were able to open up their heart and talk about their, their stuff. And I realized, oh my gosh, there's a lot of power in sharing this story because, you know, it's a heavy story. It's not one you want to tell unless there's a reason to tell it. I don't, yeah. I don't want to tell people just the, for the sake of telling people. Yeah, exactly. Be, you know, something that helps them. And so as I'm talking it out, I realized, and I became a coach in the process. And so I think I was about three years into my business when I started really having this desire to write a book for my coaching practice. But then as I'm working on the idea for the book, I start reading through my journals. I've been journaling for 30 years, all through this time, and getting all these messages from God. I mean, he he and I have conversations, right? He shows me stuff. And I write about it, and then I ask him, what does this mean? And and he downloads things, and it's very powerful. Mm -hmm. And as I looked at all those journals, I started mapping out this journey I had been on and saw this process that I had gone through to find my my freedom and healing, and I realized that's what the book had to be about. And so it, it outlines what I call the STAR process, and the STAR is an acronym for kind of these stages that I went through in my 50s when I began to wake up. So S is stirring up your soul, right? So I began to stir myself up and, like, pull those things out of me and saying yes to myself and saying yes to who I truly am. And then that led me into the deep dive of unpacking my truth and finding, you know, all the looking at my past and and discovering all the lies I had been believing and really discovering Mm -hmm. my truth and forgiving. So that's the T is truth telling. 
And then as I went through that period of time and started cleaning out of the junk in the, in the house, I started emerging with this confidence and taking action. So there was this acceptance, the A, accepting myself and then action. So activation, mm-hmm. acting on my goals, taking action where I was afraid to before. And then as I began to do that, I began to feel this release. And the R is like, release the river. It's like that power of who you truly are and just all of who you are out to the world. And so as I looked at that, I was like, okay, I have to write this book. This has to come out of me. Like, if I don't do anything else the rest of my life, I have to get this book out there. I love it. So that was the story there. That's amazing. That's so amazing. I love how you kind of shape that acronym. It's, that's, I feel like that's very powerful. There was a couple things I noticed you were mentioning when you were talking about um, your ex or like, I don't know how to, what to title him as. Um, there was a couple things, a couple things you were talking about that I kind of want to get your opinion on because I know that what I've re- noticed in like the last year or so is there's a lot of keywords going around like gaslighting, manipulation, narcissism, all of that stuff. So based on what you know and your experience with it all, what would be some of like the red flag signs of a classic narcissism, narcissist? <laughs> yeah, good question. Oh my goodness, I wish I had known them then. <laughs> One of the key ones for me, as I, as I can now look back, I mean, it's been, an, it's been a, a slow revelation. Uh, one of, like, and sometimes I just shake my head like, how did I not see this? I don't know. <laughs> But one of them was that he always made everything out to be my fault. Mm. No matter what it was. And sometimes I didn't even know what it was, but somehow it was my fault. And there was something wrong with me. And he said that all the time. It was my fault. There was something wrong with me. So that's one huge red flag. If somebody in the rela- if one person in the relationship is doing that, big red flag. The other one was that the gaslighting. So mm. and I didn't know this term, but he would all of a sudden be give me the silent treatment for days and I didn't know why and he would do it on purpose just so that I would be worried for days and days like what did I do what did I do I don't even know what I did and I would rack my brain trying to figure out what did I do wrong because I knew one day one of these days he's going to tell me I'm going to feel awful and I'll be you know he, he wasn't physically violent yeah it was all mental and emotional yeah so anyway and then when he would finally tell me it was always something really minuscule that was nothing at all mm. but he made it out to be something really really bad enough to get the silent treatment for like four days oh my gosh yeah and so then you're feeling like you're walking on eggshells all the time you don't know what you're doing that might set him off or, or be wrong yeah and be, get blamed for it and, and it seems like, you know, with the gaslighting, it's like not even things that were real, you know, not even anything really important or that mattered. It yeah. became something terrible. And, um, like completely so blown out of proportion. Sense. What? Like completely blown out of proportion. Yeah, completely blown out of proportion. Absolutely. Uh, blown out of proportion, for sure. And um, those are the two big ones. For me, like he didn't, I know for some people, um, if, you, if you're if you starting to be isolated from family and friends, that's a big one. He didn't do that. But, you know, I had to be so careful what I said yeah. or did. And I never knew what, you know. I remember one time I, I had started to play piano and I loved it. And, and I had to go to my church to practice because we didn't have one. And we lived in Massachusetts and, of course, there's a lot of snow up there and this one night uh, we had a huge snowstorm and I had gone to the church with my daughter who was about two or three to practice piano and on the way home the car broke down there was no cars on the road because we I don't know it was like a foot of snow and I'm stuck on the highway no cars around freezing cold my car dying and a policeman just happened to show up and called my my husband at the time and I was so scared yeah and he was gonna be super mad at me and he was (laughs) it's like you know, the car broke down in a snowstorm. You should be like, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. Are you I'm okay? Like, like, yeah. No, I'm okay. Yeah, no, it wasn't like that. Oh, boy. Those are some of the things. Like, you know, when you're in it, you don't realize mm-hmm. that they're wrong. You think it's normal. You can't see it because you're so... Manipulated and like, yeah. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Think, do you think narcissists can change? 
I don't know. I've, I've, I've heard that they can't, but I don't know. I mean, I, it, I've always believed that if people really want to change, they can, it's but tr- they have to want to. And yeah. Narcissists don't usually see the need. It's true. Well, because like they, they're so like self-consumed, you know what I mean? Yeah, very much. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. Yeah, You know, everything, everything is in his world. It was the way he saw things. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, like I said, he was expecting money to fall out of the sky because he thought, (laughs) well, if we (laughs) went through a period of time where he thought we could give all all of our money away, God's going to bless us with this hundredfold return, which is a scriptural principle. And I remember one day him saying, God told me Tuesday, today's the day. And $250,000 is going to appear. And then, you know, we end up getting kicked out of our condominium because we hadn't been paying our bills. So we were homeless. (gasps) And then while we were homeless, we were living in a hotel room. He thought he was going to get a Cadillac. And he went outside and sat on the curb waiting for the Cadillac. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It was crazy town. Wow. Crazy town. And there were times, because he he didn't want to work. He thought he was just going to have money fall from the sky. And so there was... One period of time where, you know, we didn't have any money for food. And I remember we, we would have peanut butter sandwiches and potatoes. That's all we had. Oh. Butter and potatoes. Oh. And I couldn't go to the doctor the whole time I was pregnant. We didn't have health insurance. We didn't have money. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was nuts. Wow. Well, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm thankful you're here today, like, to have gotten through all of that. <laughs> Jesus. What, what, did, what kind of advice would you give to someone who's dating a narcissist right now? obvious thing is to get out of there but the problem is it's a lot of times hard it's hard you don't realize you are with a narcissist and you are so um it's it's a psychological game they play mm-hmm. and you're afraid to disappoint them you're afraid to to make them mad and you're afraid to do anything to get out of it because when you're with them it seems like they're right and so it's very very confusing but I would say, you know, if I had really trusted my own heart and my own gut, which eventually I did, and that's how I finally got out of it, because I started to grow in my in my wisdom and discernment, like my ability to trust what my gut was telling me. And, you know, it's really hard to tell your friends and your family what's going on oh, yeah. because you're, again, afraid you're going to say something that will make your partner mad. And so... But if you, if you um, can feel this in your gut and in your heart that something is off, trust that and mm-hmm. find somebody that you can trust to tell them what's going on that you know you can trust that they're not going to repeat it to anyone. And, you know, and then that way, if you can just talk to somebody, there was a group of women during that time that it was a Bible study. And I remember sitting with them and and telling them some of what was going on. And I remember them looking at me with shocked looks on their faces. And I remember sitting there going, what's wrong? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> but they knew. Yeah. And I could tell that they knew something that I was not quite aware of, but I, I couldn't quite figure that out. They ended up, because he had, at this point, he had cheated on me with a woman in our church. Oh, oh my gosh. And, and told me that that she was there because God sent her to him because our marriage wasn't doing well. <laughs> and at that moment, I remember thinking, wait a minute, wait just a minute. <laughs> this cannot be true. This is not true. And I told this group of women, and they actually took up a collection to pay for me and my daughter to fly home to my parents and get out of there. Wow. But I ended up going back to him a well, year and a half later. I feel like a lot of people who are in these kinds of situations do that because it's what they know, you know what I mean? Like, that's what they feel safe in. And especially, like, if you're that psychologically and emotionally manipulated, like, you're just like, it'll get better or he'll change or, like, you know what I mean? Like, Well, that's exactly what happened. He told me, well, he hmm. said, well, I stopped the affair and now I'm going to go get, I'm going to go into the army and learn a trade so then I'll have a job which, you know, he wasn't doing before. And so that's how he got me to come back. <laughs> and of course, we had a daughter by then, and I yeah. felt like, oh, well, you know. And I didn't want to go back, but I felt like, okay, I'm going to give it one more chance. And then that went on for another th- two or three years, I guess. And then he up and just left. He emptied our savings account and left one night 
and just took off, left me there with a three-year-old. And that was, and a, that was the last time you saw him? Uh, well, we saw him after the divorce once or twice. Oh. But, yeah. Wow. But that was the night I was like, okay, this is it. I'm done. This is it. It's over. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I'm out of here. <laughs> and that was it. So. Wow. Yeah. What, how would you help? Like, I know you, when you were saying if you're someone's in a narcissistic relationship, like find somebody you can trust. But I feel like that that's really hard to do, especially like when you're in your twenties and stuff, because you like, you feel like your friends are either going to judge you or they're like, they're not going to understand yet. You know what I mean? So like, how could you, what, what tips would you give to those girls or even men who like need to speak up for themselves, but don't know how? Yeah. Yeah, I know it's really hard to talk to friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if you could seek out somebody that is trained, you know, like mm-hmm. a minister or a counselor um, that especially knows how to deal with this. Yeah. I think in, in today's world, there's a lot, it's a lot more out in the open than when mm-hmm. I was going through it. Nobody talked about narcissism. Nobody talked about sex trafficking. Yeah. Nobody talked about any of it. Yeah. I didn't know what was going on. I had no idea what was going on. I just knew it was weird. <laughs> and something was wrong and I wasn't happy. That's yeah. really all I knew, you know? And so, um, you know, I, when, when he left and I came back home, we were in Massachusetts, I came back to Virginia, and that's one of the first things I did was talk to my pastor. And then there was a group of, of people that were, you know, in a prayer group, and, and we would pray, but I didn't really talk much about it. I just had that support. And then it was, like I said, many years later, and it was in church with trusted people who knew how to help you help me unpack stuff like it has to be somebody that can sit with you with strong emotion that knows how to kind of guide you through talking things out and especially if you're getting if you're going to get triggered by it Mm. you really need a a professional um, person and I never did seek out counseling and like official therapy um and I, and I, you know, I remember my, my husband now, like we've been married now 31 years and we got married three years after my divorce. So I was still, I was still in that. Yeah. Hey, I didn't realize it, but he saw it and he was like, you really need to go talk to somebody. And I wouldn't do it mostly because I was so ashamed. I didn't want to tell anyone the story. Yeah. Um, but I would say, you know, if you're feeling that way, just know from somebody who's been there that you really don't have anything to be ashamed of shame Mm -hmm. is what keeps you quiet shame is what makes you hide but shame and Brene Brown talks about the difference between shame and guilt guilt makes you feel bad for what you did but shame makes you feel bad for who you are I love that yeah and you you are not like, I, I believed for so long that I, at my core, was really somebody worthless and, you know, not important. And it's not true. <laughs> and it's not true for anyone. Yeah. Everyone is valuable. Everyone has gifts inside of them. Everybody has value as a human being. It's just not true. And so, you know, it's really learning how to, not- how to not notice the shame, but be aware of this shame. That mm-hmm. was the big thing. Shame versus knowing my worth and value became like the core of the matter for me and that's why I love to work with women as a coach to help them find that value it's it's all covered up by all the stuff you're believing and yep. things that people have told you oh yeah um, you know so it may be hard and it may seem scary but you're worth it you're worth it to go find someone that's you can trust somebody that knows how to handle this kind of you know, strong emotion and deep trauma and get it out. I mean, getting it out was the best thing I could do. And I felt so much freer. And I realized after I got it out that it was like, not that scary as I thought it would be. You said that, you said that all so eloquently. That's, that was, that was very well said. (laughs) (laughs) When I'm, I'm very curious now, this is totally not a question I had prepared. I just like running with things that people say how does your husband what was your husband's reaction when you told him the story oh yeah like your current husband (laughs) um he was not shocked at all he just kind of took it in stride and i told him before we got married because i wanted him to know um he had experienced some trauma when he was a child too some some abuse but i don't know the details of it because he hasn't talked much about it yeah 
but he um, did not judge me at all um, and he just he just loved me the way I well, the way I was you know and the, That's so and good. he was patient through many years of me being still traumatized and still unable to uh, process what had happened to me because I was still trying to stuff it away and yeah so there was definitely some problems in our relationship because I had issues with trust being intimate mm-hmm. and letting my guard down and and he would always say to me well, I'm not him that's so hard like when you're going into a new relationship and you still have all that trauma and like baggage that maybe you haven't unpacked it maybe you're working on it and like it's just you don't want to self-sabotage the relationship but like it's still there you know what I mean yeah so I get that (laughs) yeah I get I was very defensive Mm -hmm. against anything that he might say or do that would feel at all like manipulation or control Mm. because I was determined I was never going to come under that again and so we would have arguments and some and sometimes my defenses would be up and I'd be you know and he I would be so resistant to anything that he's saying because I heard it as he's trying to control me yeah you're not going to control me yeah (laughs) I mean it still can come up sometimes and he'll say oh I'm not trying to (laughs) (laughs) I just want to okay that's right he's not he's not him yeah (laughs) yeah it's hard though it's hard for sure um, I want to switch gears just for a second because I do want to touch upon this. It's really interesting because so yesterday was a I don't know what you guys called it when you were teaching. Um, they're called PD days or PA days, like professional development days. The kids stay at home and like the teachers are at school. And it's interesting because as I was like making sure I was all good for today and what have you, um, speaking with you yesterday and one of our PD PD sessions, um, the a local constable of the police force was talking did a whole hour and a half presentation on sex human trafficking and sex trafficking and what it looks like and like the signs the symptoms and mostly like in the like the city we're in right now but like obviously it's for all of ontario um and it was i was like most normally on pd days like as a teacher you kind of zone out you do like other things at the same time but she was talking and i like i didn't do i wasn't planning i was just like i was so like I don't even want to say in shock, but just, like, I was, like, wow, like, these kinds of things, like, and the way that she talked about it, and so then when, like, I re-looked over all of your stuff for for our conversation, and now you you mentioned it, too, and I was, like, wow, I just, like, learned more about this Canadian version, like, Canadian version of it yesterday, which is crazy, so, like, and she talked about, like, the signs and symptoms and all that stuff, like, do you, what, what, looking back on it now, what would you say some signs and symptoms of, of sex trafficking or human trafficking look like? Mm. Um, probably, like, if you... What you would notice in somebody being trafficked would be, do they begin to kind of withdraw? Mm-hmm. Especially emotionally. I have this picture I show sometimes when I tell my story of me during that time. Oh, wow. And I'm sitting on the couch, and I'm kind of looking off in the distance. But the look in my eyes is so heart-wrenching. And I couldn't look at that for years, not until this past couple of years. Because every time I would look at that, it would all come back to me. Yeah. Because I remember the moment that picture was taken. And I was so sad and, and just so shut down and, and felt so trapped. And I can look at that picture and see that look on my face and feel it all over again and, mm-hmm. and so that that's one of the signs is like you know I wasn't myself I was yeah. very um, disconnected emotionally and just not mm-hmm. not relating to people I remember my dad coming to visit me once and he had no idea this was going on yeah and he was he was out there for some reason it was in Las Vegas and literally I sat on his lap because I was so desperate to feel safe oh. to be in my dad's arms like it wasn't something I was consciously thinking in the moment. I just did it. It was just like this. I was in his lap cuddling up to him. And I remember thinking, he must think this is weird, but I need it. Yeah. You're like, I need that <laughs> and, safety. Yeah. And so recently when he read my book, he was like, I didn't know that was going on. Of course, I have told him since then, but not not in, in detail. Yeah. So it hit him when he was actually reading it. And he was like, how did I not see it? How did I not know? Mm-hmm. And I said, because I didn't tell anyone. Yeah. Well, do you remember that time I crawled up in your lap? And he goes, yeah, I do remember that. And I remember thinking it was a little weird. (laughs) (laughs) So things like that. Yeah. um, And I remember 
being really upset like his sister would come visit and we would play cards or play a game and if i lost i would go berserk mm. i would just lose it you know so like a, a weird emotional outburst that don't make sense is another sign yeah and uh, you know really isolating and drawing away from normal relationships yep. would be another sign if um if they're dressed up a lot, really, you know. It, that's it, what that's what the police officer said too. She's like, if like, let's say it's we're talking about like high school kids. Like, if they show up to school with super expensive things all of a sudden and really like provocatively dressed and what have you, like, and they're not normally like that, that is also like a sign that could be something yeah. else going on. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it's it's sad to think about because like I teach grade seven, but like I'm in a seven to twelve school. So if you've like. And the way she was talking, she was, like, in Ontario and in Canada, like, the the majority of women or people who are, hum- are like, trafficked, 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 um, they're between 12 and 17, which is crazy. Like, that's know, crazy, because I'm thinking about, like, the kids I teach, and I'm like, wow, like, it could be one of them, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. which oh, yeah. gets so sad and so like the fact that you've gone through it and like you you were able to get out of it and share your story like that's crazy yeah. and I'm very proud of you for that thank you and of course you know I I know my story is mild compared to what a lot of girls for sure through. for sure you know where there's physical abuse where they're actually kidnapped and held prisoner and, and made to be drug addicts and like that and like branded and all of that stuff yeah branded yeah no I didn't have that I had a girlfriend out there during that time and she had it much worse than I she had a a real pimp in every sense of the word where he had other girls my boyfriend really was more of a boyfriend who was kind of playing around with this idea yeah and he didn't have other girls and and all that kind of stuff he did think about it (laughs) and I think he tried but yeah much luck but Um, And that's why I, for a long time, I didn't call it sex trafficking. I just said, Mm. well, I was a prostitute. My boyfriend talked me into it. But then the more I was reading about it and studying it and understanding it, the more I realized that it comes in in different forms. But if you have been in any way manipulated by somebody on purpose, and it was not something you wanted to do. With with an intent. Yeah. 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 So then I just decided to call it like it was and own my story. And that helped me a lot. That's owning the story and realizing that it happened. That's what I learned yesterday. (laughs) 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 Just too funny. Um, What was I going to say? I was going to ask you something. I can't forget. It was on the tip of my tongue. It might come back to me. Um, What was since then or like in general throughout your life, what has been one of the best pieces of relationship advice you've ever received Hmm. wow i know it's a tricky one (laughs) yeah that's a good one though i i think it's just to not be afraid to have the hard conversations Mm. Uh, and i think that really it's learning it from my current husband because you know, he's the type of person, like, he just calls it like it is, and he wants to talk about, he, he's not afraid to talk about things that are hard or to face conflict. Yeah. And to, let's just talk it out. Where I used to be terrified of doing that, I didn't want to talk about anything that would stir up trouble or make me feel upset. And if it was conflict, I'd just avoid it, partly because of my personalities that way anyway. <laughs> me too. <laughs> and, so, yeah. and so, but I realized that you really in order to have a really good healthy relationship you have to be able to have those hard conversations and talk through things and be honest and open yeah and i think you know admitting hey this is how i'm feeling about this or this is what i'm struggling with yeah instead of just trying to ignore it and act like nothing's wrong or you know and and then you can get things get to the root of things and really have a deeper real relationship yeah that's so true it's it's hard but it's that's so true and i learned that too through therapy recently as well um i'm okay i'm very this is gonna sound terrible but i'm very excited to ask you this next question i like to ask all my guests this right before the end um and there's a reason why i ask everybody because i try to help i'm in my late 20s i guess you could say um and there's a bunch of things i wish i had known when i was in my early 20s that I haven't learned until like now, but as I'm still in my 20s, I'm like, hey, I can help other people um, who are my age. And so 
based on your experience and everything that you went through in your 20s, if you could go back and tell 20-year-old Janelle anything, what would you tell her and why? Mm. Wow. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's how I'm like, I need to, I need to know this. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I've had... <laughs> I've had so many times where I've thought about 20-year-old Janelle or in, you know, my 20s, mm -hmm. where it's almost been like, oh my gosh, like that happened to me? Yeah. Because, you know, I had, I had tried so hard to forget it ever happened and ignore it, that it almost became like this other person that went through it. Mm, yeah. So, and so I had to like come back into this wholeness again. And so I think I would tell her to, um, to know that this isn't all her fault, that she is, that you, you know, you are worthy of being loved and treated with respect and it's okay to talk about what has happened. Um, you know, everybody goes through tough things. I remember after the rape, the next couple of days later, I saw the guy in, on campus and I thought, oh, no, there, there he is. What's going to happen? And he looked right through me like I didn't exist. Oh, my gosh. And that added to the whole story. Yeah. So, like, look, you know, I would tell myself, stand up for yourself, you know, like speak up. Um, don't just, you know, let people take advantage of you and, and, and don't let, you know, don't be a victim. Stand up for yourself. And yeah. I think if I had known that then, if I had known what had happened, if I had realized it, and I think today women are a lot more aware of the whole you know, being drugged and raped because mm -hmm. back then I don't remember even thinking about it. I don't remember it being a thing. No, like nobody ever, nobody really talked about it. No, nobody yeah. talked about it. So I didn't know what it was and I didn't even, it didn't even occur to me. <laughs> um, but that's, and that's what really what I try to tell women now, even older women that, that are my age or, or young, a little bit younger than me that are dealing, you know, that have hidden away their stuff mm -hmm. is that, you know, it's okay to stand up for yourself. It's okay. You have a voice. You matter. Your story matters. Your voice yeah. matters. What you've been through, it's important. What you have to share is important. And, you know, don't let anybody quiet your voice and tell you to be quiet and go stand in the corner. You know, like uh, that message for centuries. I love that. I can feel like that message like in my chest. Like yeah. it's it triggered my anxiety a little bit, but like it's it's just like that's <laughs> yeah. a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I just had that conversation recently with a client who's probably in her forties, I guess, and she wanted to switch jobs, but she didn't want to rock the boat at home. She didn't know mm -hmm. how her husband would feel, and I'm like, well, most husbands, most men are good men. Most husbands love their wives and want them to be happy. So first of all, trust that. And second of all, you have every right to voice what you want and to stand up for yourself and say, this is what I want. Yeah. And I want you to support me and help me to get to where I want to be so I can be happy. And I think he'll go along with it. And sure enough, she did and he did and everything's great. Oh, that's but, so good. You know, I think we're afraid sometimes to speak up for yeah. ourselves and to say, this is what I want. I want to do this. And we don't know if it's going to work out, but... You know, I th we as women feel like we have to support and and be the ones mm -hmm. that take the back seat and put our dreams on the shelf because, you know, maybe it's crazy. Maybe it won't work out. Yep. Maybe it'll rock our finances a little bit if I try to go after my dreams. And so as women, we're like, oh, that's okay. That's okay. I'll just do what I'm doing now and everything's good. But no, no, no. <laughs> no, yep. no, no. Totally agree. You have right to go after your dreams. Totally agree. Where can Where can my listeners find you? They can find me on my website, EmergingLifeCoaching.com. I'm on Facebook. I have a, a Facebook page. I have a group on Facebook called Women Emerging Fearlessly. Awesome. And, uh, of course, I'm on LinkedIn and Instagram. Instagram, I don't do a whole lot on there. Um, I think, you know, older women, we are not sure what to do with Instagram. But <laughs> I'm on there occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. Um, thank you yeah. for sharing your story. I know Absolutely. it can be a tough thing and it was heavy and all that stuff, but you you spoke it very positively, which I think can help a lot of people realize it, especially if they're going through something like that or they know somebody going through something like that. Um, so I really appreciate that. You're yeah. very inspiring. So thank you for that as well. Yes. Um, and uh, we're going to keep in touch. And I'm going to order yeah. your book. I'm <laughs> Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Um, having me on today was great. 
very delightful conversation. Oh, thank you. Even though it got into my heavy story, but I loved it. Okay, because you know I'm on the other side of it now, and I'm happy and doing well, and everything's good. That's so good. And I just I would love to encourage your listeners to go read my book, especially if they're struggling with you know knowing who they are, Mm -hmm. because I really give some really good um, exercises and uh, tips and real real things. I mean. I've had women tell me that are reading it that it's changing their life and Aww. they're they're going through it slowly and really processing through which is what it was meant to do. So that makes me happy. <laughs> Don't worry, I will add the link in this in the show notes too. So don't you worry. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Janelle. Thank you. I have a great one. So first of all, Janelle's story is heartbreaking, inspiring, crazy. (laughs) Um, And I'm so thankful that she felt comfortable enough to share it with us and with you guys too. Um, It really, it really meant a lot. And I was just mind blown at what she's been through and how she got to where she is today. Like that's, that that makes sense now how she's a guru. (laughs) It all makes sense now. Um, also, I just want to say that, um, I apologize. My boyfriend was vacuuming in the background and I can tell him to be quiet many times that I do these episodes. Uh, but once you get to like episode 47, which is where we are right now, he tends to stop listening (laughs) to my requests and we don't have a very big house. So there's nowhere really to hide. And my problem too is where I live, the rooms are so tiny that the doors actually don't clothes in the bedroom um and our other bedroom is actually a closet without a door because we don't have a closet in our actual bedroom so um yeah so I apologize there was lots of uh he was yelling at dogs and he was vacuuming and it kind of cut into out of the audio which I haven't been able to fix um so I do apologize for that but that's that's what happens when you're a homegrown one woman show kind of thing right um, but that's an episode, guys. I don't really have anything more to add to that because I don't want to take away from Janelle's story um, or our conversation. So have a great week, guys, and we will chat next week. Mm-hmm.